0: Thanks, Low. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your words, the words that come through um, this text today. Thanks for The life that we experience through Rise Up and Alyssa, and thanks for the singing and the story that it tells us. I pray that as we we attune now to this text, would you, Spirit, awaken us to the reality of who you are, awaken us to the reality of who we are, and awaken us to the reality of those who are around us in this room, but also in this city. Um, So, Wake us up to what you're doing, what you're about, and who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy New Year. It's a new year. Get applause from over there. Johnny feels excited about the new year. Um, We've stepped into 2023, and as we step into 2023 as a community of faith, we are going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, I'm um, going to do that for a number of weeks. And we're basically going to be asking ourselves the question, like what does it mean to connect our actual lives to being Christian? So we sing, we sung already today about the love of God. We've sung about God stirring a passion so that we could maybe speak and communicate about the love of God to those around us. The things that we say and we do all the time Um, that would tell the story of what it means to be a Christian. And so we want to think about, as we look to the Sermon on the Mount, what does loving God and ourselves and others actually tangibly look like? Because we know that loving God and loving ourselves and others is the guiding ethic, we could say, or the guiding principle of what it means to be a Christian. That's how it is laid out in the Old Testament. It's it's the words of Jesus when Jesus summarizes everything he says you'd love God as you and love yourself and love others. It's Paul, it's what Paul says in his in his epistles and his letters to all these churches. And so if that if we were to boil everything down it can be called the golden rule. If everything about this life of being a Christian can be boiled down to that, what does that actually mean in the tangible? I think sometimes when we talk about love it can feel soft. It can feel a little like, uh, a little wimpy. I don't think it is. And as Jesus speaks the Sermon of the Mount, he speaks the grandiosity of this love to the community of people that are hearing and to us by extension. So what does it mean for that to become real? So we're going to talk about it. Why not? Helps us to understand who we are in relation to God and ourselves and others. So begins this sermon on the mountain. As um, as Johnny was praying this morning for the service, we're in a group. Before he said, "You know, this is probably the most important sermon that's ever been preached." And I was like, "I don't know if I feel comforted by that, or a little intimidated." <laughs> Heather, bring it. Twenty twenty-three. Talk about the most important sermon that was ever preached. Cool. So we're going to attune to that together today. Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. It's important to note who Jesus is talking to in this sermon. And a lot of commentators do this. They begin with the beginning and the end because it helps us to understand who Jesus is talking to. So at the end, and the sermon concludes, chapter 7, 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So the audience that Jesus is speaking to is disciples, followers of Jesus, and also crowds. And these crowds are amazed at what Jesus is saying. It's better than the the religious teachers that they hear. And so what we can take from this is that what Jesus says in these next chapters is influential. And that it has weight to it. The people who heard it were amazed. I think it's very rare that we feel amazed. Kurt Vonnegut is a renowned American writer and novelist. says of himself that he's a humanist, kind of a free thinker. And um, he was enchanted by the Sermon on the Mount as a humanist. And it's the source, the Sermon on the Mount is the source that he quotes the most often in his essays and in his novels. The words found here are enchanting. They have power to amaze. Not just crowds back in Rome, but prolific people who think a lot about what the world is all about. Disciples, followers of Jesus, and crowds. And so he starts with these blessings. The sermon starts with what we know as called the Beatitudes, or the blessings, the ones that we just heard. And in English, the word blessing can be reduced a little bit. Blessed are, meaning if this, then this. So these particular people are blessed if they do this, or they are this. Those are the ones that receive the blessing. That's kind of how we would read it as English readers. But, that actually um, disconnects us a little bit from what the Greek word means. It's not just about those who are virtuous are then worthy of blessing. Those who fulfill these components are worthy of blessing. If we view it that way, as there's something to be earned, we've missed the kind of thrust of what this word means in its fullness. The blessings are given to people who feel inadequate. The blessings are for systems of inadequacy and circumstances that are bankrupt both within us, but around us. And so there's a desperation as we read them, which is why I like the way this woman called Asheta Moore, she writes about this. She says, when faced with systemic brokenness, and in the Roman world, that would be the oppression of the Roman Empire, systemic brokenness, religious elitism, economic disparity, human violation, all things that we can still connect with today. Jesus offered the wholeness of his kingdom. Jesus came not with a list of how to be your best self and achieve success, but with a new vision of humanness. And that begins and acknowledges our collective vulnerability. The crowd gathered around Jesus understood living in Roman supremacy society. So Jesus began the Beatitudes blessed. Jesus says to those who feel anything but blessed or favored. Or as I have begun translating when I read the Beatitudes, beloved. Beloved is harder for us to hear, I think. It's harder for us to hear because we like to be blessed for what we do. It's harder to be loved for who we are. Humans, complicated. Beloved. So I want us to read it again and read it all together just so that you can get washed over in these words. And I want you to either choose whichever word you feel more comfortable with. We're going to read it out loud collectively and you can use the word blessed if you want to or if you prefer the word beloved, use that word. Or you can use them interchangeably. So let's read these words of Jesus together out loud. Beloved are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) For they will be filled. Beloved are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Beloved are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called There's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Beloveds, spoken by Jesus into the crowds. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke says poor, doesn't add spirit there, the Beatitudes are also in Luke's gospel. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you probably noticed, he opens and closes with the same phrase. I tried to highlight that, did you notice it? I made it big little subtle nudge there, notice this, the kingdom of heaven, that's called an inclusio when the text does something like that, which means that is held, everything that is held between those words is attached to this main idea. It's a collection of thoughts collected together under the frame of kingdom of heaven. And so we will come back to that it's important for us to know what that means, what that is, what that's about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Beloved are those who mourn, those who have lost. And there are all kinds of things that we lose. We lose relationships, friends, and family. And marriages and children. We lose homes and belongings. Sometimes we even lose ourselves. And with loss, it leaves us sad. Sometimes broken hearted. Beloved are those who mourn. Those who've lost. For they will be comforted, held. Beloved are the meek. The meek are the powerless and the insignificant, the unseen. This is a direct quote from Psalm 37. So if you feel powerless or unseen or insignificant, hit up Psalm 37. It speaks, and there is an echo here in this beatitude that the meek and the, and the powerless, the ones that are unseen, theirs is the earth. And when we're unseen and when we're insignificant or when we're powerful, it feels like we have nothing. But here Jesus says, inherit everything. It may seem like there's nothing, the meek, inheritors of the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now remember in English, the word blessing can be reduced into things that we claim by what we do. And you'll notice there's a little shift here from conditions and circumstances, from poor and heartbroken and powerless So maybe what can be heard is doing something, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But I think it's important to be mindful that there's also an expression of vulnerability in hunger and thirsting, right? When you're hungering and thirsting, there is something that you feel starved for. Empty of. Dale Brunner, who is a theologian, in his commentary says this, God's promise is given to people for whom righteousness, victory, vindication, and right conduct seems painfully missing in themselves and others. Whenever Dale Brunner talks about righteousness, he adds other words to it, just like peppers other words in there, which I absolutely love because it's such a robust word. And he often puts the word vindication with righteousness. And I think that's important because with righteousness, often there's a feeling like we're right. And the only way for that rightness to be substantiated is with some kind of vindication. Like rightness substantiates righteousness. It makes it justified. And so the idea of hungering and thirsting is like this deep physical longing for something that is painfully missed. Justice that is painfully missed. Rightness that is painfully missed. That's the thrust of what is being said here. And in the Old Testament, when people claimed righteousness before God, but it didn't include human righteousness or social justice. That evoked anger from prophets. So it's important that anger was corrective. Like you can't decide that you are right before God if you are not right and not acting justly in the world. It was a corrective. And so it's important to know that hungering and thirsting for righteousness includes more than just our own rightness before God. And sometimes I think in the world of Christianity, and using words like righteousness, we immediately place ourselves in terms of our own personal relationship with God, and that is important. but it is not limited to that, the notion of righteousness. Righteousness is right relations, myself and others with God, but righteousness is also right relations, myself and others, with each other and with the earth. And so there's this hungering and thirsting. And so if we look at this only as ourselves and a spiritual condition that we hold before God, we don't have hold of the whole story. When we look at the news and a six-year-old shoots a teacher. When some people work so hard, hours and hours, and they don't have enough money to pay their rent. when we know of the realities of microaggressions and just blatant racism and war, when we recognize that bees are disappearing and that plastics in the ocean kills birds and marine life, and when we tune to ourselves and we look at our own Patterns of harmful behavior, that leaves us with a pit in our stomach. And it should. It should leave us hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Because there are actions that are painfully missing. And when actions that lead to certain types of consequences, it's that feeling, the same feeling as hunger, where something's missing, painfully missing. And it is unsatisfied or unsatiated until there's vindication. A sense of restored rightness. And the blessing here, the blessing here that comes from Jesus, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, will be filled. Another translation, which I think I like a lot better, is will be satisfied, right? We're not satisfied until we have this vindication. Beloved, those of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be satisfied. It feels lofty, right? It feels far away. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's the only one that's corollary. Mercy receives mercy. It's powerful. It's easy to want mercy, it's a lot harder to be the giver of mercy. Giving mercy is costly, so it's beautiful, it's a beautiful blessing when it's extended, it's returned. What a beautiful blessing! Just have a couple more. Blessed are the pure in heart, and I have a little story to help with this one. I am um, sent a friend a text, like I was watching this little YouTube short and it just like captured, captured me. So I sent it to a friend of mine and it's this, um, little girl, she's in the kitchen and she's with her dad and, um, she wants baklava. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's too adorable. Look it up after if you haven't seen it. And she's like, you know, prancing about and she's like, dad, I want baklava, I want baklava. And, um, His his partner is obviously, like, the one filming him. And um, he pulls out this bag of carrots from the refrigerator, and he's all, eat those first. And this little girl, in all earnestness, she looks at him, and then she sits on the floor, and she starts pulling out these carrots. And they're huge. They're like the jumbo-sized carrots. And so she starts pulling out these carrots and then she just is, like looked at them and she's like those are not washed like that's the thing she's gonna say right and she's genuinely looks at her dad and she's like not washed dad and then he just looks at her and he's like i'm just joking and he gets down on his knees at the baklava her. And um, he, like, holds out the baklava. And she, like, looks at him with this little look. And she's all, just baklava? And he's all, yeah, just baklava. And then she starts to laugh. And she's, like, giggle, giggle, giggle. Oh, hun, dad. And then she eats her baklava. Clearly, she her, her mum or the partner calls her dad hun. So she calls her dad, oh, hun, dad. <laughs> and then she starts eating the back of it, and it's just, just gorgeous, it's gorgeous, and I sent it to a friend of mine, and um, she texted her back, she's like, there's so much purity here, she's like, and this is a literal, I'm like quoting my friend right now, I love my friends, my friends are so epic, the best friends, she's like, you can feel the goodness around her and the goodness of her trust, her caretakers enjoy her, but they don't mock her. She's like, the word purity keeps coming to mind. Maybe purity is connected to trustworthy delight rather than moral perfection. I was all, do you know that I'm going to be talking about the Beatitudes this way?" She says, maybe purity is connected to trustworthy delight rather than moral perfection. The pure in heart see God. What do they see? I think they see what this little girl sees. Goodness. Trustworthy delight. The pure in heart see God. And I think that's what they see looking back at them. Trustworthy delight. Blessed are peacemakers, are the peacemakers. They are called the children of God. Like parent, like child. Peacemakers, little chip off the old block. That's what it says here. The ones who seek wholeness in every direction. Every relationship. The one who bring communities together like, like parent, like child. Peacemakers, children of God. And then the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And remember what we talked about with righteousness? Persecuted because of righteousness? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the end takes us back to the beginning and everything in between. The kingdom of heaven. There's so much beauty here, right? I feel like we just went on a little skip through them and it still felt like we like landed in them pretty heftily. There's so much that's compelling and rich and that holds us. It speaks to them there in Rome, those crowds, and it speaks to us here now, to our losses, to our hungering and to our vulnerabilities and inadequacies. And it's important for us to ask the question is who are these beloveds two and four? And you'll notice a change here from blessed are those or those to blessed are you. Verses 3 to 10, blessed are the or blessed are those. Verse 13, blessed are you. There's a change. Verse 13 then goes on to say, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light. There's a shift in who is being addressed from blessed are those or blessed are the to a particular you. Bruner again says, the adjective Christian does not appear in any of the first eight Beatitudes. The you of the disciple is only in the ninth. Jesus' beatitudes are as wide as the world, which is to say they are as wide as Jesus' love. In these words, we get a glimpse of Jesus' affection. Jesus' affection for the wider world that we're a part of. And if we moralize these, let these be virtues, then they locate themselves in particular kinds of people but the gift is that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is speaking into the conditions and contexts of what it means to be human. And the gift of these words from Jesus is the gift of God bringing God's reality into human reality. And that's how I like to describe kingdom of heaven. God's reality the thing that holds all of these beatitudes. So what is kingdom of heaven and what does that mean? The kingdom of heaven is God's reality and God is always speaking God's reality into human reality. Matthew illustrates that. And God's reality into our reality is God's gift to us. God's reality, the kingdom of heaven, God's reality exists. It's what we believe as Christians. It's the reality that we participate and join in. We talked about that this fall, that we're joining God in the renewal of all things. Meaning that God is bringing God's reality into ours. And God is doing that and will do that, and has been doing that. And God's reality swallows up everything that opposes it. And that means that generosity swallows up greed. That means that equity swallows up disparity. That means that comfort swallows up heartache. That means that trustworthy delight swallows up shame. That means that mercy swallows up condemnation. And that means that peace and wholeness and rightness swallows up violence and violation and fracture. That's what it means, that God's reality would break into human reality. And that's what God is doing. God's reality is swallowing up all that opposes God's reality. And God speaks God's reality into our hearts by his spirit and that transforms us. But God also speaks God's reality into the world in which we live, which means systems and structures and powers and communities and the earth. And that too is a gift that it's both. And they dance together to bring God's reality into our reality. And that is the news that we would call the good news of God. So when we get to the last verse, and Jesus speaks directly to Jesus' followers about being insulted, and that things would be said against us because of Jesus, it's because we would be living into God's reality. When we're light and salt, it's because we live a kind of existence that is part of God's reality, and we live out of that reality, and we bring it when we do that. Like, we'll get to Matthew chapter 6. You're in heaven as it is on earth. Or on earth as it is in heaven, rather. That was totally the wrong way around. Got one last quote, and it says, Each beatitude takes on a common picture of Roman thriving, wealth, prominence, strength, cunning, and comfort, and turns it on its head. In the kingdom, God's reality, we acknowledge our poverty of spirit. In the kingdom, God's reality, we allow space to grieve. In the kingdom, we are driven to humility. In the kingdom, our passion for true justice is unrelenting. In the kingdom, we choose gentleness over harm. In the kingdom, we are honest and courageous. In the kingdom, we sacrifice for what matters. Through the beatitudes and the the sayings on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus gives us good news, that the kingdom, God's reality, has come near, and will change every, every oppressive paradigm, if only we'll let it. And so what does it mean to let it? What does it mean to let God's reality become our reality, and so the world around us is reality? We yield to it. We yield to God's reality. We let it pass through us and around us. So we yield to peace. We yield to mercy. We yield to to righteousness and justice. We yield to comfort. And yielding is not passive. Yielding can take a lot of resistance and a lot of resilience, especially when it is different from what is coming at us. And the Spirit of God is here to help us, to help us yield. The Spirit is awake to the kingdom of God. The Spirit wants us to be awake to the kingdom of God. And so the Spirit helps us to yield to God's reality. And as we yield, the goodness of God shows up and becomes tangible in our lives and through our lives. It becomes tangible, we see it around us. So I have two questions before we come to this table today. What do you need? The blessings are for the beloveds are for the vulnerable. We'll come here today in need. It's the best reason to come to church. It's to come in need of something from a God who loves. What do you need or what do you want? And then where can you yield to the Spirit of God so that God's reality becomes yours? so that God's reality becomes ours. Let's pray. God, thank you for this sermon, these words that tell us that we're beloved. And sometimes it's a lot easier to try and earn our belovedness And yet it's into our vulnerabilities that you speak life and goodness. And so I pray today that um, each person here would be able to identify a place of need or a place of want. And that there would be a courage in believing that your reality is wide and big enough to provision for that. And wide enough and broad enough to provision into the world, and into the extended relationships. And so Jesus, I pray the words that you prayed. May um, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.